0: Okay. Good afternoon. This is Judge Lopez. I'm going to call the 1 o'clock Docket Diamond Sports. Folks, lots of people on the line. I'm going to try to see if I can do this by keeping the line uh, unmuted to avoid hitting five star um, for purposes of today. So I'd ask that everyone please take a look at your phone and place it on mute. I would also ask if everyone, to the extent you wanted to make an appearance, I'm not going to... Take the time and do that. Um, what I am going to ask is that everyone log, go to my uh, website, uh, my homepage, and just go ahead and make your electronic appearance. It'll save a little bit of time, but certainly will recognize that you were here. Um, I do need to hear from debtors' counsel. Uh, I did sign one order before the hearing. There was a CNO, and I signed that order, and it should have hit the docket. So. Uh, maybe someone... Let me just hear from Debtors counsel as to where we are. Someone here on behalf of the debtors? And there's no need to hit five-star. The line is completely unmuted.
1: Yeah, John Higgins, quartered
2: edges appearing on behalf of the debtors. Okay. And also, Paul Weiss being... Mr. Father trying to get his microphone
0: option. Okay. okay. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, before, before we start, I if everyone I again can just take a look at your phones and place it on mute. I'm really trying to avoid muting the entire line, unless you're speaking, obviously. Okay. I'll turn it over. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. This is Andrew Parlin from and Paul Weiss on behalf of Diamond Sports Group LLC and uh, affiliated debtors. Apologies for the technical difficulties um, kicking off. First of all, uh, thank you, Your Honor, and Your Chambers for being so flexible with us um, on the lead up to this um, lead up to this hearing. I know we just filed uh, uh, a revised or an amended interim cash collateral order at docket number um, twenty-seven.
0: All right. This isn't going well. Folks, again, I can hear you, please place your phone on mute. I may have to mute the entire line, but I'm really hoping to avoid it, but I'll do it if I have to. Mr. Mr. Parlin, um, I'll give it one last time, and then I don't want your presentation interrupted. but let's give it let's give it one more shot. And if I mute the line, then I'll we'll just do it. But go ahead.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Thank you. Your Honor. Um. Chair, All right. That was a sign. Um, that was a sign that I should just mute the line. So go ahead and and hit five star. I don't want your presentation constantly interrupted. Let me mute the line first, and then hit five star.
2: Conference muted.
0: Wait and hit five star again, Mr. Pilon, just one last time. Make sure I can see you. There you are.
1: Does uh... that work, Your Honor?
0: Perfect. Thank you. And I apologize.
1: No, we apologize for the uh, just getting your chambers and, and Your Honor, the order. Um, you know, maybe 20 minutes ago. So, the bottom line uh, today, Your Honor, is that the debtors, together with the official creditors committee, the the first lien group, the secured ad hoc group, and the crossholder ad hoc group, all have agreed on continued use of cash collateral on an interim basis. The committee, who you'll hear from today, did not file a formal objection, but did have a number of informal objections and those, uh, are all resolved. So again, the debtors, BCC, the three ad hoc groups, all have agreed on continued use of cash collateral on an interim basis. There is an outstanding objection or group of objections from Major League Baseball and certain clubs, um, that remain unresolved. And, and those relate also to the issue that was carried over from last week on payments. Mr. Goldman, uh, from Wilmer Hale. We'll be addressing uh, this and why the debtors believe the interim order that we're presenting today addresses that objection on an interim basis, and we'll come to that in due course on today's hearing. So what we'd like to accomplish today, Your Honor, is pretty simple. We'd like to achieve entry of this second interim cash collateral order. To get there, um, we propose to proceed as follows, subject to Your Honor's um, views. given how um, shortly before the hearing the order was filed what I'd like to do is walk your honor through uh, the order and and anyone else um, on video or on the phone Uh, we believe it's important to be tethered to the document to be grounded in it and I'll address uh, the entire order other than a particular paragraph towards the end which addresses MLB issues and Mr. Goldman again will take that up in due course Mr. Goldman, I
0: don't I don't think I have the order. I don't know if it's not. But that could um, be a function of me just needing to hit refresh, but maybe somebody can confirm for me. I don't see it. It might have just hit the docket, and it takes a couple of seconds for it to hit my system. Yeah,
1: It's docket number
0: 373, whatever that's worth. Oh, there it is. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I see it now. Okay.
1: Okay. And, Thank
3: you.
0: Well,
1: you. know the, the document is, is is notable for what changed as what didn't didn't change, so the red line tells a lot of the story but not the whole story, as you'll hear from Mr. Alberino as well. So what, again, what I was proposing to do is um, walk your honor through it, um, and, and at a pace that's hopefully efficient. Um, then, Mr. Alberino of Aiden Gump, on behalf of the committee, would like to address the court. The ad hoc groups who also support entry of the, uh, interim cash collateral order may want to address the court at that time as well. From there, I'd like to turn, uh, over to Mr. Goldman, who's going to address the portion of the cash collateral order that addresses Major League Baseball and the club's, um, objection and the issue that's carried over from last week on payment and no doubt Uh, representatives of Major League Baseball and those teams will want to speak. So that's how we propose to proceed, if um, it's okay with your honor. That's
0: completely fine with me.
1: Okay. So we were going to try to um, uh, share this, uh, put on the screen the order if your honor would like us to do so or I can simply um, refer to to, uh, section members. Um,
0: I've got it up. Um, um, who would I turn it over to if they were going to put it on the screen?
1: Megan, are you available from?
0: Megan Young? Yeah, there she
1: is, Megan Young. All
0: right. No pressure, Megan. your
1: (laughs) honor, if uh I... Like me to speed up or slow down, um, please tell me, and I'll oblige. Okay, you know, just just starting on the cover page. Just you know, most obvious thing, it is a second interim order. We have the interim order that's in place uh, as of now. This is also an interim order, um, and that's why it's called the second interim order. We most of there's some ministerial changes up through the first twenty pages, but if we can move to page twenty. Of the red line, that'd be helpful. Now, most of the changes I'm going to walk through were comments from or resolutions of issues raised by the committee. At times, we got uh, comments from the landlord or taxing authority, the like, and I'll I'll note those along the way. Um, Okay. So, are we on page? uh, There we go, adequate protection. So, starting with clause F here, go page 20 to 21. Um, just the red line here is to note that diminution of values post-petition, and on page 21, you'll see that there's a reservation for the committee um, and the rights of the pre petition secured parties as to how diminution of value is to be measured or determined. That's a negotiated solution, so this document does not legislate how um, uh, The court will later go about dealing with diminution of value or adre- uh, calculating it if and when that becomes relevant, um, and that, that was a negotiated point um, between the parties. If we continue turning to page twenty three paragraph two okay, you'll see there your honor, what would do what we're asking the court to grant today. Um, the, the motion is granted um, as a second interim order in paragraph one and in paragraph two, objections are overruled other than the outstanding objections filed by MLB, the joiners uh, in the clubs, and the joiners there, too. So those are expressly preserved, um, and for the record. Uh, pending, pending the, I should know, pending the final hearing, which um, should, the, Your Honor, end up granting this motion as uh, entering this order as we're requesting, we will set um, for Your Honor's calendar. Okay, if we can continue on, please, to. Um, page uh, 27 there's a a whole series of uh, uh, new texts here Your Honor. What's going on here is that um, the debtors are in the process of replacing their um, accounts receivable financing facility Um, and so temporarily there's a reduction in liquidity, not, no, not to any alarming level whatsoever, but um, in the original uh, cash collateral order, um, liquidity minimum liquidity was at $225 million. This language here is just to acknowledge that until that facility is replaced like, through July 15th, um, there's essentially a, a holiday or an adjustment of that minimum liquidity uh, covenant so that um, the debtors don't trip a covenant in the cash collateral order and have a termination event. Um, if this was worked out among the debtors and the lenders and, and the committee. Okay. We can turn to page um, 29, please. Um, you'll see some deleted text. Your Honor, this is just to, again going back to the diminution and value calculation. Um, just, just these things were already mentioned. This is just cleanup. So while it's red, it's not remarkable. Um, and if um, you turn to page 29, uh, 30, page, uh, please, Megan, you'll see that we're just clarifying that um, adequate protection means secure repayment of, of super priority claims. So just to clean up. So, continuing on, uh, we reach um, an important point um, on page uh, 30. But hold on a second here. Bear with me. On page 31, this is an important point where I think you'll hear from Mr. Abelino, so I want to call attention to it. Um, in the interim uh, order, at the gate, the 1st thing lenders and the other lender groups agreed that while the debtors would um, grant them a lien on the proceeds of avoidance actions, we included a soft marshalling concept. In other words, the, the value of those means would only be um, accessed at the end of the day when it came to diminution uh, uh, diminution claims. The committee um, will speak to that later, so I'll let Mr. I won't take Mr. Alvarino's uh, uh, role here, but one of the important one something important to note, that concept remains, but it's subject to entry of the final order. This is an interim order, and it was important uh, for the committee that the interim order remain an in interim order um, until it's final. so you'll see here there's a lack of redlining um, on, on uh, in the lead up um, in, on page 31 the, the, uh, the lien on avoidance action proceeds continues to be on an interim basis. The red line on 3132 is just to deal with a landlord uh, consensual resolution. If we keep going um, to page, uh, I think this is paragraph C on page 33. Um, we'll see you. We, you'll see, Your Honor, that we're including uh, the committee is getting rights throughout the order. This is an example of it, um, and the committee rights are reserved to seek to, you know, recharacterize payments if uh, values are later not what people believe they are today. It's just a different formulation. Um continuing on to page thirty four please, Megan. Um, this is just a tech there's a lot of language here, Your Honor, just a technical issue for lenders that we don't need to pause on. And we can then move quite a bit forward uh, to page thirty-eight to thirty-nine, where these are the second lean adequate protection provisions, Your Honor. They are amended or revised here to match what went on for the first lien lenders when it comes to um, adequate protection liens, um, et cetera. On page 42, again, a lot of blue ink, just to clarify around, you know, second lien, uh, uh, agent revolving lender, uh, agents, et cetera, getting their fees paid, so just clean up. And as we turn to page uh, 44, please, the committee uh, asked for and received um, the ability to have committee members reimburse um, expenses of up to $200,000 for services um, in connection. Uh, for expenses and current services in connection with the committee member service on the committee. Which was acceptable to the debtors and the lenders. Continuing on to the termination provisions of the order. On page uh, 49. The next two paragraphs, uh, sections 8 and section 9, deal termination and remedies. Um, what you're going to see here as we move from page 49 Uh, On the 50, um, in the 51, oh, no, actually, I apologize. I'll come to that in a moment. Let's let's talk about the termination rights. Mm -hmm. Um, On page 50, uh, some clarification that there's not a termination right if the debtors take out a dip and it repays the one else in full. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just clean it. Um, Termination right F on page 51 Again, a lot of ink here. All this does is mimic language and actually repeat language that was already in the first interim order. What uh, that 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 clarifies um, the determination right is if we the debtors do anything that's going to result in the impairment of rights of the first lien parties. This just clarifies if we seek to reinstate the first lien or um, uh, uh, do something that's not impairment it, that that can't be re. Uh, characterized as impairment and therefore uses a termination event. This is just uh, to protect the debtors from somebody uh, reading this provision F2 broadly.
0: Why don't you take me to paragraph 31? Let's just get to where we're. I, I, I got all the other points.
1: Perfect. All right. So 31 is, um, I'm going to leave that to Mr. Goldman, but in short, this is what I wanted to come back to after the committee speaks. Um, is going to talk about what we're doing with funds that would otherwise be payable to baseball or the teams on an administrative claims basis. There is one paragraph, however, your honor, if I may, that I want to point out at the end of the order that's very important, and that's paragraph thirty-five.
0: Well, let's just talk about thirty-one for a minute, though, and I, and I got it. The committee's going to make their their arguments, but what is thirty-one a proposal to segregate essentially all funds that would be payable to the teams during the interim, I guess, until the final resolution? Of the uh, of the motion that we're going to decide on, May thirty first, or or is it just how does this work? I just want to make sure that we're all clear Your on Honor. the record.
1: Yeah, Your Honor, it's Andy Goldman from Wilmer Hale. Good afternoon, and Good. thank you again for hearing us.
0: Good afternoon. Um,
1: so, with respect to paragraph thirty one, um, the issue and we previewed this when we were before Your Honor last mm-hmm. week was. Um, the question of what's the, the proper quantum for purposes of 365 and 503 that we owe the teams during okay. the tenancy of the case broadcast rights were utilizing. Um, what we tried to do so that the teams would not be prejudiced in any way was simply to take the full amount of the contract payments owed for each through June 1st and park those in a segregated account. No one would be entitled to touch those, including the debtor, for use for any other reason. The liens of the lenders would essentially... Patch from those funds for as long as they sat in the segregated account, and then when Your Honor rules on May 31st as to exactly how much we have to pay each team after the evidentiary hearing and the witness testimony is concluded, then we will immediately pay those teams the amount Your Honor directs us to. To the extent that it is the full amount, then the segregated amount will be depleted to zero, nothing left to do. And to the extent that there is overage, meaning we have established that the 365503B the amount is less than the contractual amount, so we're entitled to not have to pay everything, then that overage will then go back to the debtors for use subject to the budget and the liens of the lenders will automatically reattach. This way for the, pet, the next six weeks, baseball and its teams will have absolutely no concern that anybody can lean up those funds anybody can take those funds and to the extent that they can prove up uh that the contractual rate is indeed a fair value rate um they will have immediate access to all of those funds it was a way to essentially um preserve the status quo while not letting the teams worry that our cash accounts were going to diminish or that our lenders would try to sort of strip away the funds segregated for their use uh for this very short six week period
0: so Mr. Gumman, I want you to think about something and i don't I don't know the argument hasn't been presented before me, but I want you to think about something and tell me cause i know what obviously i I got a good feeling about what the teams are gonna argue um so the question I had and I've been thinking about this for a couple of days now is I don't know what the spread is between the contract rate and what someone's gonna propose as a five oh three admin claim and, and today's not the day to, to hash that out. Um but it seems to me that there is a number that is non controversial that can be paid to the teams and where you're not segregating the entire amount, but you're segregating and I don't want to get into what the, the true spread is, because I think that's a subject for experts and to come in and argue. And I don't know what the number is, but I do know that there is probably a number um, where the teams don't have to go until May 31st, essentially, with all the funds sitting in a segregated fund that they're in. I think, and I'd ask everyone to think about it, it seems to me that there is a number that can be paid to the teams, each of the respective teams, and I don't know what that number is. I don't know if it's 30%, 40% of, of what it is, it's what's disputed. Tell me, tell me yeah. if that's possible. And again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm throwing a concept out there. Um, and I just want everyone to kind of help me think through that issue because, you know, me putting out a number doesn't make any sense or saying, you know, this is really teed up for me to say yes or no, up or down. And I'm just thinking between the margins a little bit, but I'm not in a position to know what the right number is or whether that even makes sense.
1: So, Your Honor, thank you. I I assume it will come as no surprise to the court that we have already had significant thought around that issue. Um, uh, and we're happy to entertain it, we're happy to think about it. I think with the following caveats and I think what has given us some cause for concern and we wanna obviously will take your honor up on your suggestion that at some point we take a short recess and talk internally about that. We've also had some discussion I have had with Texas Rangers counsel, who I see somewhere in the video, um, uh, about that same concept. Um, the question of payment and what we have been grappling with, uh, among others, uh, whether it's 100%, to 50%, whatever the number is that we can come back to the court with, um, I think what we are most concerned about is assurance that if that even that number is too high and the teams are required to disgorge, the teams are money good for that disgorgement. Part of the clamoring around some of the pleadings around we need the money, we need the money to make payroll has given us concern that there may be some credit risk involved and we can't risk from the estate's perspective getting stuck where a team, which we hope would not be the case and this is therefore more of an ephemeral academic discussion than a practical discussion, comes to us and says we're in a cash flow crunch, we simply cannot repay you the disgorged overage, if you will, for lack of a better expression. Um, and I think if we could solve for that, then I think the company certainly would be, I think, more comfortable with the support of its various lender groups and the lender groups that we have talked about this at nauseum over the last couple of days um, could probably get comfortable with that construct as well, your honor. But we just wanted to bring that. Now, to the I, 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 I the thought situation.
0: about that too, Mr. Graham, and I, you yeah, know, what I didn't want were, were two things were, Um you know, any finding that, you know, any number that could be paid to the teams somehow served as, you know, any indication of value so that everyone, you know, could keep all their powder dry and and argue um, what they thought the right number was. But in the event that there was some overage, um, either the teams would have to pay the money back or the debtor would have a right to offset it against any future payment. You know, so one way or the other, um, you know, the number that I found would be, yeah, you or know, any not. No, I don't want to come up with the number, but any number that's there uh, is either going to get offset against future amounts that would be paid, or the team would have to pay it back, um, or the parties could just agree on a number saying that you know this is the right percentage, and you never even get close to that number. Uh, I'm I'm fine with either concept, but I don't want to create a situation where the the debtor has paid money to a team and i'm not saying this the situation exists but i don't want to i don't want to create a situation where i've signed something or approved or required something and then then force the debtor to have to pay it back you know it's a chase to get to get the money back i don't want to create that situation i'm not saying anyone does so i'm sensitive to it so um, i'll need to hear from the teams about that but I, I appreciate that i know people have been thinking about it i just I was always concerned that, you know, judges kept things in their heads and never actually communicated anything sometimes. And so I, I try to get my thoughts out there, you know, on things that I'm thinking about early so that people have the opportunity to react to them and think about them as well. Uh I think it's the only fair thing for me to do. So, uh Mr. Goldman, just just take it as me just musing along here, Um but at least giving you an opportunity to, to think about it up front rather than, you know, hitting you at, at the back end on something
1: enormously appreciated your honor. I would just note the two wrinkles that we would have to work through are number one. um, Depending upon how the court rules on June 1st, it may be that we move to quickly reject some of these agreements. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure the credit against the Mm -hmm. next set of payments may work across the board. We'll have to work through that and come back to your honor with some suggestions. And then there's a particular quirk with respect to the Texas Rangers where they have the right upon 20 days notice to try to turn off the telecast rights under the theory that they terminated pre-bankruptcy. We'd obviously fight that and, and would come before your honor on a stay basis um, but we may not be able to even get the bang for the buck in terms of a two months worth of broadcast relative to their being able to turn us off on 20 days and so we'd want to work through that permutation as well but as a fundamental matter your honor we're happy to consider that and come back to your honor pretty quickly on so, some Mr. Gorman,
0: let me ask you and, and obviously I need to hear from the teams but Assuming the number was the, sp- the spread, at least as for as of now, was I'm making up a number. You know, let's just say it was thirty percent. Now, you know, couldn't the team just receive something like fifty percent? You know, we never cross the threshold. We never get to the point where you cross the line. Is that is that is that even possible? Yeah, probably. Your honor that's what yeah. i in, in other words I'm, I'm open to all ideas and if there's a deal I'm, i won't stand in the way but absent one that's what i'll be looking for you know one where sure. we don't trip the wire
1: yeah and, and your honor the way we had envisioned this and i'm i'm happy to digress further or turn it back to mr parlin the way we envisioned resolving the team's objections with respect today was to deal with the segregation versus payment slash disgorgement issue and then um, advise Your Honor that with respect to the team's remaining objections to cash collateral, essentially 552, 506, and some reporting, we would deal with that at a hearing, which I think we've scheduled with your chambers for May 4th at 2 p.m. Uh, on an evidentiary basis, because certainly Mr. Bromley, representing the commissioner's office, has told us they intend to potentially take some discovery, and certainly. Require us to put live witnesses on the stand to satisfy the burdens, at least with respect to 506. Mm -hmm. And so, for the remainder of those issues, those issues can be. uh, We believe those issues can be comfortably heard on May 4th. We'll obviously brief them, Um, and with respect to the segregation of funds versus payment disgorgement, we're happy to work through those issues and get your honors um, approval for whatever solution we propose, assuming it is acceptable. Clubs today okay
0: that makes sense to me thank you mr. King. I appreciate it thank you. sure
1: your honor would you like me to finish the presentation of the order I think about <laughs> done with one since,
0: since I since I hijacked it I apologize uh, yes please
1: right so just if Your honor, I can turn to paragraph 35 it is the last paragraph um, but it's not the least important paragraph Um. What this paragraph does, before I get to the language, it tries to balance the competing interests of the debtors in wanting to memorialize um, the agreement among the debtors, the committee, and the ad hoc groups that's in this interim order. Um, I believe the first name lenders and the other lenders are very focused on making sure this order is durable, even though it's an interim order. And at the same time, um, from the committee's point of view, uh, making sure that the relief granted in here remains interim until there's a final order. of course, we can't have a final order today for the reasons Mr. Goldman, uh, just noted. So if your honor takes a look at the language, um, what it effectively does is it says if the MLB objection is overruled, this interim order, subject to some typographical, you know, edits that need to be made, becomes the final order without further hearing. Got it. Um, if, 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 if there is a change, if the MLB Objection results in a change to, uh, you know, not prejudging. You know, 506C, 552. The other the issues being raised there. Then the parties have the um, the right to, uh, to to appear and be heard, um, and address that at the time. But we wanted to, as best we can, have this order, this interim order, be a self-executing final order, um, if and to the extent um, the, uh, or if the MLB objection is overruled. Um, when the final hearing occurs. Okay. So Your Honor, thank you very much for your patience the uh, Sorry for No, and I apologize
0: so, to you. I uh I interrupted your presentation. I apologize for that.
1: No apology Mr.
0: Okay. Let me before I turn uh, to the Oh go ahead.
1: Mr. Goldman just wanna say one note before we turn to
0: others. Oh sure.
1: Your Honor apologize. Um, at the end of the hearing, and I don't think this was noted on the agenda, that's um, our fault. We apologize for it. I think there is some discovery dispute that um, uh, my colleagues are having with um, Major League Baseball's lawyers with respect to the timing of reports and production of documents. and I think it was our hope, and I think uh, SNC had agreed with this that we would bring these questions to your honor today. We can certainly save those for the end of the hearing. Um, after we can get through the cash collateral and anything else that's on the agenda. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Right. Turn to the teams. Let me hear from the, Mr. Brimage, the committee, just to get thoughts. Um, let's see.
2: Your Honor, this is actually Megan Young, John. I had just pressed it for
0: no, no. for control of the screen. Yep. You got it. I'm just, I'm, I'm unmuting a couple of lines here. Just ask that you keep your phone on mute. I just really want to hear from, let's see. If the committee's around.
1: Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me okay?
0: Just fine. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Marty Brimage here with Aiken as proposed counsel to the Unsecured Creditors Committee. Your Honor, I'm joined today by a couple of people I just want to make uh, sure you're aware are on. Uh, first of all, Ira Dizengoff, who was not able to make it last week, is making an appearance today. Scott Alberino, um, who is also joining us, and he'll take the lead today for us. And then last, but obviously not least, Naomi Moss. Um, I would say, Your Honor, that we did file a statement on behalf of the, the Unsecured Creditors Committee at one, I'm sorry, twelve fifty nine, uh, given that this hearing started at one o'clock. I promise you we were not testing your speed reading abilities. Um and Mr. Alberino will go into a little more detail, but that's at uh packet <clears throat> number three seven seven, and I'm confident you have not had a chance to read it, but he'll he'll walk you through it. And with that, your honor, I'll turn it over to Mr. Alberino.
0: Perfect. Mr. Alberino, have I you? you hear me real Just fine. Thank you.
1: Perfect. Interesting hearing today. So, um, as as my partner, Mr. Berman, told you, Your Honor, we did file a statement <clears throat> shortly before the hearing today, and I wanted to take this opportunity just to introduce a few issues. But I wanted to really through the statement that we filed today, we thought it was important to kind of bring the court up to speed on a couple of things. Number one was updating the court on where we ended up through our cash collateral negotiations. I know Mr. Carlin stole some of our funds are running through running you through the mark but I want to highlight a few things so Your Honor is aware of you know, the contents of the order. But then number two, what we really wanted to do was focus on one of the issues that was not resolved. And we're not objecting to entry to the order here today, Your Honor. Uh, but I think given the importance of the issue and the issue being liens on avoidance sexual proceeds. Uh, we wanted to make sure, you wearing know, our committee hat, uh, that Your Honor was you know, beginning to get the speed on what these issues are, and I want to make sure that you know, the court is prepared if, at some point in the future, you know, we're back in front of you on a handful of these issues. So, you know, first and foremost, uh, I want to say, number one, thank you to the company and the lenders for working with us to resolve a lot of the issues. Um, there were a handful of you know, what I would call traditional committee issues that we worked through with the parties here. Um, and, you know, just to highlight a few, Your Honor, um, there are multiple kind of reservations of rights on important issues. Uh, we provided, you know, clarification in the order with respect to reserve rights uh So we can test, make whole claims on the first lien as well as the false interest claims. Uh, very importantly, um, we, on the credit fitting credit- credit side, you know, we've ensured that the adequate protection liens that are being granted and avoidance action proceeds cannot be credited. You know, without a final non-appealable not order in place determining the amount of any diminution claim. Uh, we did a good job, I think, narrowing the cash collateral termination rights in addition to some of the customary ones we were, we we're all used to. You know, there are some new ones in there, including some termination rights that related to situations where there are material losses or disruptions to the business. I think given the nature of the business, it was important for us to... adding carve-outs there for certain contracts that we're either going to terminate, expire, or be amended or not renewed during the course of the bankruptcy case, and I think we got appropriate language protecting the company in that regard. Uh, We worked with the company to fix the minimum liquidity covenant, which is one of the two financial covenants containing the cash flow out of water, and I think think it's set up in a way now uh, where we're not going to inadvertently breach the covenant uh, while the company seeks to refinance the AR-1 facility. Uh, we kind of rolled back some of the remedies provisions, you know, so that they are more customary you know, here in this district. Uh, the lenders cannot exercise remedies you know, without filing a motion and getting relief from this court, as opposed to what you know, we had in the prior order. Uh, we fully have reserved rights you know, to dispute how diminution claims may be calculated, and that's a concern for us. You know, there was a lot of debate uh, with the community and the lender parties on trying to hardwire. How diminution claims will be calculated, uh, given the organizational structure, which is highly complex here, you know, and the fact that there are multiple asset, bu- asset buckets, you know, given how the teams, ha- given how the company is structured, you know, where all the team assets are. Uh, but I guess we'll leave that for another day, Your I think all right to reserved for our parties. Uh, we also work through a couple of more of the conventional committee challenge issues. We have more time. We've got more money. Uh we've put in place a tolling arrangement that so the be spent file a standing motion. You know, and there are certain things that you will know, hear about in the future uh, that we're gonna to have to go through. But I think all in all, um I want to thank the company and the lenders for working with us, you know, and getting you know to the right results. People are responsive, professional, and there was a lot of spirited debate. Uh but I think going forward I'm hopeful you know that we're gonna to continue to work in a very thoughtful and professional manner with one another. Uh, Your Honor, you know, there was one issue we didn't resolve here, and it was a tough issue. It was a tough one for the committee to swallow. And, you know, you, the lenders, the company asked me whether you know we were going to be standing up today you know, supporting entry of the order, and I was pretty careful with how I chose my words because, um, in this case, it's hard for me to say we're, we're supportive of our big cash collateral order uh, where the debtors have provided liens and avoidance action proceeds you know, to our secured vendor parties. Uh but we did get to the order to a place you know, where you know we are not objecting today. And you know, we're not objecting to entry to the order. We have a deal we have a deal around the issues that we've resolved and we've decided to yield on the avoidance action issue. But it's an important issue, Your Honor. And the reason we yielded here is not because we think it's not important, but we yielded on the issue because we recognize this is a very large and complex company with a lot of employees, with a lot of important counterparties. We did not want to, through an, an objection here, you know, force a non-consensual you know, cash collateral process on the company. Um, the committee's goal here is to support the company, help this company figure out how to restructure, restructurally organize. You know, we did not feel that it was appropriate at this point to force a non-consensual cash collateral fight, only on the case you know, where the company was not a willing partner in that process. So we made the judgment call. You know, The committee thoughtfully deliberated this and we decided, you was know, to take the deal we had, not realize that we would have to kind of lick our wounds on this one to move on. But that being said, Your Honor, uh, the avoidance actions are highly consequential in these cases. You haven't heard a lot about them. We've heard, heard a lot about other issues, and I don't want to diminish, you know, the fight that the company has with the league baseball teams. Uh, obviously, everyone is focused on that. You know, there's a lot of pending motion practice, and these are very important issues in the case. But further down the road, Your Honor, we're going to get to avoidance actions. And to Your Honor's benefit, I know I'm just here testifying in court, but you'll hear more about it in the future, hopefully with evidence. But there are a number of historical preposition transactions that both the committee you know, and the company are currently investigating. You know, we are at the beginning stages, and the company through their conflicts committee, you know, is a little bit ahead of us, maybe about a month or so. Uh, But, Your Honor, there are significant avoidance actions that relate to transactions involving the the Sinclair acquisition of the diamond entities back in 19. Um, There are significant transactions we're looking at, including more than $900 million of cash distributions from the debtor entities that were used to redeem redeem preferred stock at non-debtor intermediate holding companies that was guaranteed by the parent company, Sinclair Broadcasting, uh, there were hundreds of millions of dollars of payments for management services you know, and other fees you know, between Sinclair and Diamond that the committee and the company is currently reviewing. There was a partnership agreement between Sinclair, the Denver's and Valleys, uh, where Sinclair received significant value disproportionate to what Diamond was, was received for the naming rights uh, to the, uh, to, the, uh, to, the uh, to the Diamond regional sports networks. And I'm only listing a handful of these, but these transactions, you know, are not inco- inconsequential. These are transactions that could be, you know, worth, you know, north of a billion dollars, if not more, you know, to the estate. And while we're not taking a position, Your Honor, as to the viability of any of these actions, heading into this case, everybody knew who was involved in the lead-up to the bankruptcy uh, that there was going to be a, a big investigation that releases in particular with respect to Sinclair Broadcasting were going to be an issue. You know, in fact, you know, the funded debt creditors in this case and the company had preliminary negotiations with Sinclair heading getting into the bankruptcy. People have distanced themselves from the, those discussions, but the Sinclair releases with respect to these transactions, you know, this will be an issue that is very much one of the front and center issues that, you know, the parties in this case in this court are going to have to deal with. So, I I make this point, Your Honor, because again, we yielded on the issue. We didn't fight as hard. We didn't fight to the death on this issue because ultimately, if these are just liens, these are just adequate protection liens, they are just ammunition claims, and there is more work to be done here. We're hopeful that that we are not fighting about ammunition claims with respect to the avoidance action proceeds because that's a bad day for everybody on the phone today. But, Your Honor, I do want to note that We are concerned about how these things could be weaponized against unsecured creditors. I don't know how, I don't know if, but we are concerned about potential weaponization, whether it's in connection with us investigating these claims, whether it's in connection with us seeking to obtain standing to prosecute any any of these actions, or if it's in connection with us objecting to any potential settlements between the debtors, third parties, including Sinclair, and some of these funded debt constituencies. But, you know, we are on high alert you know, to make sure these avoidance actions are protected you know, for the benefit of unsecured colors in this case. And hopefully, you know, this never comes to pass, you know, but, you know, if need be, we'll be looking to your Honor you know, to help us in this regard. So with that, Your Honor, uh, that's all I want to say on the issue. I also, if Your Honor is interested, you know, we're happy to you know, talk to Your Honor about some of the major league baseball issues I will note. You know, with respect to the segregation issue in the order, um, you know, the committee did work with the company, you know, to improve it, to ensure that the segregated funds were beyond the scope of the secured lender's lien. You had to ensure that, really, there was no stranded administrative liabilities as a result of the company's decision to not pay. Uh, but if the one your honor is interested, you know, we're happy you know, to share our thoughts with the committee on some of the, with the court on some of the MLB issues. But for now, I'll, I'll hand it back to you. your office. Do you have any questions?
0: No questions. Thank you very much. Sure. Okay. Let me hear from Mr. Mr. Bromley. Your Honor? Yes.
1: Oh, Your Honor, this is Daniel Eggerman from Kramer 11 on behalf of the uh, ad hoc group of firstling lenders. Can yes, I sir. Can I address the cash collateral before you turn to the baseball issues? Thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. And again, for the record, Daniel Eggerman from Kramer 11 on behalf of the ad hoc group of firstling lenders. Uh, I, I will be brief. We are pleased that we've uh, reached an agreement with the UCC on their objections. Uh, Notwithstanding that agreement, um, the UCC filed a uh, statement shortly before the hearing. Uh, I haven't had sufficient time to review it, but based on a quick review, suffice it to say, uh, we disagree with many of the assertions in there, as well as many of the assertions of uh, Mr. of a few moments ago. But I do not think it is a productive use of the court's time for me to respond to those issues. We, We have a deal. Um, the cash collateral order is the product of extensive and good-faith negotiations from the weeks leading up to the petition date through just moments before the start of this hearing. It is a fair order. It is consistent with precedent, especially as it relates to liens on avoidance actions subject to soft marshalling. We we put that in the order before the case even filed. So we, we, we took it off the table. We know that's the, the, the preference in this district. And we've served it up. This order carefully balances the debtor's need to use cash collateral to fund these cases and uh, against the interest of secured creditors. The, the debtor's agreement on these terms, uh, are certainly valid. Uh, uh the, the, the business judgment is certainly valid, uh, and it's a sound exercise of their business judgment. It avoids the cost delays and uncertainties of a contested cash collateral dispute with the secured lenders. Um, we are disappointed that we were unable to consensually resolve uh, uh, MLB's uh, the baseball's uh, baseball's issues, but you know I guess uh, we can't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good. We we have a you know a good resolution with the committee, um, but as you've heard when Mr. Paulin walked you through the order, there's still a number of very important protections in there that we negotiated for, that are subject to a final order. Um, so those are important to us, and we'd like to get a final order. Uh, on those matters sooner rather than later, I understand um the debtors have proposed a hearing during the first week of May, and we are supportive of that uh of that schedule so unless your honor has any questions for me i 'm not gonna i 'm not gonna in- engage in a debate on um what could have or should have been
0: Thank you thank you, Mr argument. Does anyone else wish to be heard and supports the cash collection yeah. any lender your your honor can you hear me just fine.
2: Okay, uh, your honor, just very briefly, Scott Greenberg, Gibson, Dunn and on behalf of the Secured Lender Group. Uh, your honor, I just, I, I'm coming from the same place as, as Mr. Eggerman. Um, I, I don't think we should rehash negotiations that happen, but everyone on this phone, obviously, minus Major League Baseball and the teams, where unfortunately we couldn't get to a consensual resolution, spent a lot of time, uh, getting to the resolution that's reflected in the order. And I, I, I echo what Mr. Parlin said in his presentation and he came back at the end after Mr. Goldman that paragraph 35 uh, is a very important paragraph and and we shouldn't lose sight of it with the construct that I think we've come up with. And and at a high level, what it was really meant to do right is you effectively have a deal between the UCC, the debtors and the three ad hoc groups um, and put aside, and I know it's an important thing to put aside, but put aside MLB and the teams for now. I think the rest of us, so to speak, did not want to lose the progress that we made. Um, because we all spent a lot of time hashing out what I think was a pretty commercial deal, um and that's that's the concept that's embodied in the order, right which is if the court overrules rules l b everyone else is good to go and this matures into a final order, or if there's some consensual resolution, uh people reserve rights you know to the extent it impacts the deal that they negotiated, but along the lines of what mr. Egerman said, i don't necessarily uh agree with. Uh, some of the commentary from the UCC and I too did not have a chance because it was obviously filed right as the hearing started to read the, um, the pleading that was filed. But I, 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 I think Mr. Egerman hit the nail on the head. We have a deal. Uh, so there's really no point to rehash it in front of your honor, other than to, to uh, echo Mr. Parwin's commentary, which is, you know, paragraph 35 is important to try to preserve that deal be- between the other parties and not, lose or waste the momentum that we've made uh, among the folks on the phone, you know, absent the issues, obviously, we still have to deal with collectively with MLB and the team. Thank
0: you. Um, and that's all I had, Your Honor. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Greenberg. Anyone else wish to be here before I turn to the teams? No, go ahead and get to you.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. It's Jamie Fidel of Kirkland Ellis on behalf of Sinclair um, Broadcast Group. While we we don't take a position in terms of, you know, the, the proper allocation of avoidance action between the secured and unsecured creditors, I um, just want to, to note that that we're here um, and, of course, vigorously dispute any allegations regarding the size of avoidance action um, and would also note that we are, are cooperating um, fully with the debtor's investigation and provided thousands documents and facilitated a number of, of interviews. Um and today is not the hearing to, to get into these claims, but we look forward to, to defending the claims at the appropriate juncture. Thank,
0: Thank you very for, much. Your honor. Thank you. Let me hear from the teams. Uh RLB. Mr. Pomley, are have I unmuted your line, sir, by if, if not, can you hit five star just one more time? I want to make sure I got you. Can you hit five star one more time? Eh? Unless you're unmuted. You haven't muted your line already. I don't see you there, Mr. Bromley. Ah. Can you hear me, Your Honor? Just fine. I apologize.
1: No problem, Your Honor. Um, sorry about that. Uh, Your Honor, uh, Jim Bromley of Sullivan and Cromwell uh, on behalf of the uh, Officer of the Commissioner of Major League Baseball, otherwise known as Major League Baseball, uh, as well as the Cleveland Guardians, uh, the Minnesota Twins, and for today, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Your Honor, We are living in an upside-down world right now, Mr. Uh, Particularly the world that Mr. Goldman has just described, Your Honor. Uh, And it's important to talk about what has happened uh, since we were before you. Uh, It is uh, Wednesday. Um, We were just before you, Your Honor. Monday, Wednesday, the 19th. We were before you uh, on Thursday, the 13th. Um, And what has happened in the time uh, since we were before you on the 13th? That uh, the debtors have continued. They're all out of salt on their major partner, Major League Baseball and its constituent teams. When we stood before you on Thursday, Your Honor, there were three teams that had not been paid. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Minnesota Twins, and the Cleveland Guardians. And since that day, two other teams have been added to that list of teams not being paid. That's the Texas Rangers. And uh, through a non-debtor, but still an entity owned and controlled by the debtors, the Cincinnati Reds. So we now have five Major League Baseball clubs that are not being paid by the debtors. And for the four that are subject to the jurisdiction of this court, there is no relief that has been sought by this debtor to allow that to occur. The only relief that has been sought, Your Honor, is a motion to compel that's been filed by Major League Baseball and the three teams that, uh, that we filed last week now having been joined since then by the Texas Rangers. That is the only relief that is before the court. What Mr. Goldman has stood up and said is that he doesn't want the debtors to be prejudiced in any way. He wants to maintain the status quo. Then he says, and to the extent that Major League Baseball can prove up that the amounts that are set forth in the contracts are reasonable and appropriate to be paid, then those amounts should be paid. He completely reverses the world. At here, Your Honor, is something that Mr. Goldman has not sought. There is no motion before this court. There is not a single word that the debtors have filed with this court that has asked for this relief. They have simply stood up and said that in response to our motion to compel, their counter-argument is that they don't need to pay the contract amount. So with all due respect, Your Honor, I appreciate that you're considering the idea that some amount should be paid, but the fact is All amounts should be paid in full pursuant to the contract rate until such time as these debtors are able to prove and bear the burden, that is their burden, to prove that they are entitled to pay some amount that is less than the contract rate. To do otherwise, Your Honor, would be to, in effect, grant them a temporary restraining order on an application that they have not filed. It simply makes no sense. And we take great offense at Mr. Goldman's insinuation that somehow Major League Baseball or its constituent clubs might not be good for any amounts that are paid to it. Your Honor, Major League Baseball has been around for a 100 years. It will be around for another 100. I think as all the evidence so far that is before Your Honor shows, no one's sure that Diamond Sports Group will be around for six months. So the idea that we're sitting here and talking about Who is at risk? Who is being prejudiced? It is Major League Baseball and its constituent teams. And let's look at the calendar. It is April 19th. Between now and effectively the middle of October, Diamond Sports Group is no longer the broadcaster of multiple sports. It is effectively the broadcaster of baseball. It doesn't have any other sports. Hockey and basketball are effectively paid for and they are winding down in the playoffs. The 14 Major League Baseball teams are the teams that provide the content, that generate the revenue, that allow these debtors to earn a dime. And that's going to be the case every single day between now and the rest of the year. We are concerned, legitimately concerned, that the the 2023 baseball season and the broadcast of those games is put at risk, by the irresponsible actions of Diamond Sports. And why they have chosen to pick a fight, this sort of fight, of this magnitude, with this supplier of their sole source of sporting programming for the next six months is beyond belief. Your Honor, if you look at the debating whether or not we should be paid because there's some chance that the secured lender is going to decide to continue to fund this case is inappropriate and unfair and certainly from a procedural course of a day. It certainly appears to us, Your Honor, that these debtors are flailing. They have no idea what they're doing, and their business plan is non-existent. The idea that we should be standing here and pretending that everything is fine, and we're talking about all of these issues, and we're locking down things on a cash collateral order as if the cash collateral order is in the normal course is wrong. Having been through the Sears case and the Toys R Us case, Your Honor, it requires that people stand up early and say, we are staring at a risk of administrative insolvency. That is what we are facing today. This case is burning cash at an uncontrollable rate, and these debtors don't know how to deal with it. They are putting Major League Baseball, its constituent club, and all the fans that rely on these broadcasts at risk. And we should not not have to take that sort of risk. So what should be happening, so long as they have the money that they purport to have, they should be paying those amounts to Major League Baseball, to the clubs, and those amounts should be paid currently. The only way, from a legal perspective, that it would be uh, justified in any other way is if they had commenced an adversary proceeding, sought preliminary relief through a TRO and a preliminary injunction. They have not done any of that. They have simply not said a single word in writing with case law, with justification as to why, Your Honor, should be doing what they are asking you to do. And Mr. Goldman says it in the most cavalier way possible. We are not talking about what the spread should be, Your Honor. If the contract rate is established, the law says that is the presumptive rate. They should be paying the presumptive rate. If they didn't come to court on Thursday of last week, with a number in mind, as to what they were supposed, to, uh, with uh, and uh, as to what they believed was the con- uh, the appropriate rate, then I think that was inappropriate action on behalf of the debtors. The idea that we were here on Thursday talking about a motion to compel, and their response was, "We have an expert. We're ready to present that expert testimony no later than May second. We're going to be able to file it all on April twenty eighth. And now, since then, we've decided to not pay two other teams. And we've decided to tell you that we don't, we're do not we not ready with respect to our expert, and we're not going to provide you with that expert report on April 28th. It's simply inexcusable. And we sit here and we hear all of these creditors who are saying, well, you know what, we're in, in favor of this. We think this is a good way of dealing with it. You know, the RSA, Your Honor, makes it clear that $8 billion of debt are completely worthless. And the market thinks that, and the holders of that debt think that. The only thing we're talking about here is the first lien debt and how much that first lien debt might uh, recover. So we need to stop playing games. They need to stop playing games with our games. This is valuable, unique, exclusive intellectual property that is being broadcast every single day and generating revenue for these debtors and for its secured lenders. We should not be standing by and allowing any of this to happen without Major League Baseball's clubs being paid in full until there is a binding final ruling from this court or some other
0: Mr. Bromley, it just I'm just thinking of all the issues since I've got you here, and I know that. What does at some point I'm going to have to schedule another hearing? I'm just thinking about this. Um, what is what does your schedule look like the week of, kind of the eighth, like the tenth, the eleventh, or the twelfth? Have to let me know, now. I just want you to just to give it some thought. Yeah, I,
1: think, I think we would certainly prefer it to be earlier uh, than that, Your Honor. But uh, on the 10th, 11th, and 12th, uh, those dates are open for me, Your
0: Honor. Okay, thank you, Mr. Loria. Your Your Honor,
1: Your Your Honor, Mr. can I be I, heard for a second? This is Daniel. What? This is Daniel Egerman from Kramer 11, um, on behalf of the hoc the First Lane Group. Um, if you're referring to that week of May 12th for a continued hearing on cash Collado, I will note. Um, that there is a milestone in the proposed order that an order is entered by May eighth. And as I mentioned earlier, this is uh this is an important issue because there's stuff in there that is not being uh is not being granted on an interim basis. So that's why we want a resolution of it sooner rather than later. Of course, you know we don't, you. Wanna, we don't wanna we don't want to handcuff the court. So because we could do it earlier, we would be supportive of that. We would prefer that. Okay.
0: Thank you. Mr Lauria, let me see if I can find you here.
1: good afternoon your honor can you hear me okay
0: just fine mr laurie good afternoon
1: thank you uh, my name is thomas laurie i'm with and case we represent rangers baseball express in these chapter 11 cases rbe rangers baseball express is the parent of the rangers baseball club uh your honor uh before uh, turning to paragraph 31 and the questions that the court posed uh i'd like to just note that we have uh Few of uh, what I hope are cleanup issues with respect to the cash collateral order. Uh, I note that up front that, that we received it only shortly before the court did. Uh, it's 76 pages and there, there's a lot there and there is a lot of new language. Uh, I appreciate uh, counsel's explanation. Uh, we tried to read along, but, but there are a few uh, things that I want to bring to the court's attention that I think need to be addressed uh, by way of cleanup. Uh, number one, uh, there is no budget uh, attached to uh, the proposed order. I think it's been represented by Council that the budget will be the same budget that is attached to the first interim order. I, I think we'd like to get clarification on that point and assuming that that's so, I would note that the first budget does not, in any identifiable way, uh, specify uh, that amounts to the teams are provided for. Uh, it is also my understanding that Council is prepared uh, to address that as well. So perhaps I should just pause on that point momentarily
0: and see if we can clear that up, uh, up front. Mr. Goldman? Uh, let's see. Mr. Larry, why don't you get all your points out and then we'll, we'll, we'll let them. All
1: right. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, second point is really more in the nature of housekeeping. Uh, paragraphs 2 and 35 uh, fail to reference the joinder that we filed uh, to uh, the objection. Uh, and I would just like to have, have our joinder specifically referenced so that there's no ambiguity that the issues that we've raised in our joinder will be germane to the final hearing on cash collateral. Uh, whenever that hearing uh, is held. The final point I would like to raise is that in paragraph 22, um, as currently drafted, uh, although uh, our challenge rights have been protected, uh, we would be required to actually get standing before May 30th or our challenge rights would be waived. Now, recognizing that uh, as a general proposition, I think these challenge issues are going to fall squarely in the lap uh, of Mr. Alberino and the committee. Uh, we nevertheless want to be able to have the opportunity to ride along in the back seat. Uh, it should, should become necessary from our perspective to address particular issues as to our better RSN separate apart from the broader issues, uh, that may be uh, the focus of the committee. Uh, So in that regard, our request would be that paragraph 22A be modified to basically put, uh, the rangers in the same position, uh, as the committee, uh, that, uh, we would have until June 26th, uh, to commence the challenge action and that if a uh, request for standing is filed before then, that period would toll in the next few days, Uh, and and certainly we have no uh, desire uh, to to take uh, that type of precipitous action at this point uh, or to uh, put the parties to the task of responding. So I'll pause there for a moment, uh, and then we can turn to paragraph 31. Okay.
0: Hold on a second, Mr. Gorman, I can't hear you, I'm not sure. I don't think I muted you again, have you? Uh, hold on a second, I see you there. Your Honor, not
1: uh, not to uh, interrupt Mr. Laurie's flow, but he did ask me to provide some confirmations on the record. I'm happy to do so now, if, if that pleases the court. That'd be great. Thank you. So, um, Your Honor, in the first instance, um, it is indeed accurate that we provided a final draft of this order Not an hour before the hearing, but we did provide Mr. Laurie as well as Mr. Bromley with two prior iterations and specifically the language in in paragraph 31 that we're now focused on today uh, uh, at two different points in the continuum yesterday, just so they could see it um, and comment on it. Um, Number two, uh, I believe it is inaccurate to say that the budget wasn't attached to the final cash collateral order. Indeed, I think it is, but for the record, the budget that was attached to the interim cash collateral order does provide for the payment for all of baseball teams other than the diamondbacks pre-petition payment through the end of that thirteen week cash flow uh, through the end of that thirteen week budget and as we noted in our pleadings, notwithstanding that we are prepared to segregate for the diamondbacks as well um, uh, and so i just wanted to confirm that on the record as mr laurie had asked me to this morning when we talked um and then would finally note that if the court reviews that budget, the court will note that our cash balance on three seventeen was five hundred and fifty two million dollars roughly. Our cash balance on six sixteen we anticipate to be four hundred and forty six million dollars and we grow cash and increase our cash accounts after that. So I'm not sure where the comment came from in terms of burning hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, but the budget says what the budget says, and obviously that was prepared by the company's professionals. Um, and with that, I'll turn it back to Mr. Laurier for uh, his presentation of that, please, Court.
0: I think he's also asked for some cleanup on paragraphs two and thirty-five, adding their joinder uh, to yeah, the, the to the order. And, and did you have any thoughts on paragraph twenty-two, adding the Rangers to the to the standing paragraph?
1: No issues there. Okay, Your, Your, Your Honor, this is Daniel Eggerman from Kramer Levin again on behalf of the um, uh, of the of the, of the ad hoc first group. I think that that's probably more of our issue, and I, I I don't see an issue. I I have no problem giving them the same treatment. So thank you. We're okay with that.
0: Thank you, Mr. lauren
1: Thank you, Your Honor. I'll I'll continue. Uh, I will try to be brief, uh, but I think a little. Uh, step backwards for a moment to create some context to think about the issues that are before the court today might be helpful. Uh, I think as as the court is aware, uh, and all of us practitioners who have been at this for a while, know a Chapter 11 is a bit of a paradox. Uh, And the, the odd thing here is that the debtor's conduct with respect to the teams seems to be driving right into the teeth of that paradox. On the one hand, uh, Chapter 11 is built around the principle that the preservation of the growing concern will maximize value. But it is at the same time recognized that the very act of seeking Chapter 11 relief presents unique challenges and threats to that objective. All of the relationships with employees, customers, counterparties like the teams and the rangers, lenders in the market in general, are things that are essential to the going concern, are at risk of being destabilized by the act of filing. In recognition of this, the code provides the debtor with a toolbox full of rights and powers designed to help a debtor overcome these challenges and to aid it in pursuit of preserving the going concern and maximizing value. Some are triggered by the mere filing of the case, the automatic stay. The authorization under Section 363 to continue to use its assets to operate its business in the ordinary course. Section 503, which assures parties who transact with the debtors that their claims will be provided administrative status to give them comfort that they can continue to engage in operation with the debtor post position. Further to the objective, Local Bankruptcy Rule 4002-1 specifically requires the better to pay its administrative claims on a current basis. There are other tools in the toolbox though. Paying post-petition or pre-petition and benefits to employees. Paying pre-petition amounts owed to critical vendors. Getting the right to use cash collateral to operate the business in Chapter 11 consensually or non-consensually. Getting access to new debt financing by providing the debtor with the ability to offer priority repayment and lien rights. All of these things have to, aren't created by the code, but have to be brought to the court for relief. In furtherance of the objective of minimizing the disruption to a debtor's business that might otherwise occur, we've also developed a time-honored ritual of first day hearings. The debtor marches into court and promptly seeks a series of orders designed to assure employees, customers, counterparties, and the market, that the debtor will be okay operationally, that the business will continue as usual, that you can continue to do business with the debtor and not have to worry about getting stiff. That's what makes the early conduct of the debtors in this case so unusual. The debtors are and operate a conglomeration of regional sports networks They're in the business of producing content around games played by a set of professional basketball, baseball, and hockey teams around the country, and then selling that content to distributors, cable and satellite companies, who in turn make the debtor's content available to their customers. This is the debtor's business. As it currently exists, the debtor's network gives it geographic diversity, it has a national presence. And because of the diversity of its sports that it broadcasts, it has content to sell to, distribute, to distributors year round. And yet, Your Honor, despite acknowledging that its lifeblood is the right to create content based on the games played by the sports teams it has contracts with, and despite the reality that the business for the next five or six months is really all about baseball, rather than doing everything in its power to assure its baseball partners that business will continue as usual, that they can continue to transact in the ordinary course and not have to worry about getting stiff. These debtors have instead fostered the kind of uncertainty about its intentions and prospects that debtors generally fear will destroy value and that could lead to their demise. Prior to and since the commencement of these cases, these debtors failed and refused to provide assurances or comfort to the baseball partners that they will perform their obligations under the baseball transmission rights agreements. This uncertainty, combined with our RSN's obvious insolvency prior to the bankruptcy, led the Rangers to believe a pre-petition termination notice to, to our RSN was appropriate, and we sent that notice. We were concerned about whether our games would be available for broadcast to our customers, that we would struggle to pivot, if we had to, in short order, to a new broadcast platform. We were concerned that our RSN might try to continue broadcasting our games without paying us for the privilege. But unlike so many other debtors, instead of prompting, promptly taking action to stabilize things in Chapter 11, they've actually caused uncertainty to continue, if not get worse. They started selectively not paying certain teams for their content, despite continuing to use that content in the ordinary course post-petition. And as this behavior unfolded, it caused Major League Baseball on behalf of its teams who have in fact not been paid post-petition to seek relief. Pay what you owe pending your decision to assume or reject. You have joined in that motion. In response, the debtor said that the fair market value content is worth less than the amount owed under the contract and asked for a hearing to try to prove that. didn't come forward with any evidence and in fact, those statements were contained in an objection to a motion for emergency consideration of the motion to compel. But instead of continuing to pay pending the court's determination, Instead of offering to pay what they thought was fair value pending the court's determination, which they now admit they don't know, they simply stop paying. Now, Section 365 is a powerful tool in the debtor's arsenal to preserve its business and maximize value. But it's not that powerful, and it doesn't provide for this. It gives the debtor the right to assume executory contracts it believes are beneficial. Even contracts that were in default pre-petition. It gives the debtor the right to reject contracts it believes are burdensome. But whether it assumes or rejects, it has to do so comorre. The debtor must assume or reject the entire contract and all of its rights and obligations. It doesn't say that you can simply not pay while you decide. Actually... It does say something like that with respect to equipment leases, but not executory contracts. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The code clearly contemplates that the debtor will perform its post-petition business obligations in the ordinary course, all of which constitute administrative expenses. Executory contract obligations, including those arising under pending contracts that are pend- pending assumption or rejection, are not carved out from this, unless the debtor can establish that the fair market value of what it's receiving under an executory contract is less than the contract rate. But it is not for the debtor to just unilaterally reset the price term under its executory contract's post petition. Or to just decide that it's not going to pay what it, rece- what it for what it receives under its executory contract first petition. Your Honor, imagine the chaos. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine it, because that's what's unfolding here. The debtor did not bring an action to determine the fair value of what it's receiving under its TRAs with its baseball partners. The debtor did not seek or obtain an interim order authorizing it to pay a lesser amount on an interim basis until it can mitigate the issue of fair market value. Rather, the debtor just unilaterally and selectively so far stopped paying. This is not only inconsistent with the principles of the Bankruptcy Code, it's imprudent. If the debtor believes it has transmission rights agreements that are burdensome, the debtor can move quickly to reject in order to relieve itself of its ongoing obligations. That happens all the time. And if it believes it would be delayed in getting court permission to reject, it can seek interim relief guarding, regarding the contract's pricing under the theory that the counterparty's administrative expense claim is limited to the fair value of what it is providing the debtor. The debtor has so far chosen not to avail itself of those rights. Instead, it is just unilaterally withheld payment. Importantly, the debtor does not assert that the Transmission Rights Agreements with its Major League Baseball partners are equipment leases. Obviously, they're not. But that's important because, as I previously mentioned, Section 365B5 specifically gives a debtor a 60-day breathing spell to not pay post-petition obligations, and it provides a roadmap for the debtor to seek to pay less than contract thereafter. 365 provides no similar rights with respect to executory contracts. The fact that Congress specifically provided that right for equipment lease means that, as a matter of statutory construction, that right does not exist with respect to executory contracts where the code is silent. Unless and until the court determines otherwise, the debtor has to pay current for what it receives post-petition under its transmission rights agreements. Now, I heard counsel for the debtor talk about concern with respect to risk. I've got three points I'd like to make with respect to that. Number one, I've never heard a debtor say that it's not paying its counterparty post-efficient because of risk that it won't get repaid. Number two, debtors usually make exactly the opposite argument in their critical vendor motion. They say, Your Honor, if you don't let us pay these creditors, these key trade partners of ours, they may fail. And that could hurt our business. Interesting that the debtor isn't thinking about that here. Three, most important, we're talking about multi-billion dollar businesses. I'm sure the court is familiar with the valuation of professional sports teams. It is implausible to suggest that the owner of a major league baseball team is going to allow his business to go into bankruptcy over what is a small amount of money, a few million dollars perhaps of overpayment that has to be disgorged. I can't speak to the balance sheet and the liquidity of any of the other teams, but I can assure this court that the Texas Rangers have all the liquidity they need to meet any such disgorgement obligation were that to be imposed as a consequence of the court's subsequent ruling. And you know what, Your Honor, if by chance we didn't have the cash on hand, we would do what we did during COVID. We'd make a capital call. And the people who own this team, who are investors in this team, this multi-billion dollar asset would answer. The risk of non-payment is not nada. It is zero. That is a Trojan horse. What the debtors are really doing here is trying to use non-payment to extract concessions out of the teams in Major League Baseball to which they are not entitled. Now, is there a deal to make at some point in time in this case? I'm sure there is. But it's not going to be achieved by twisting people's arms. The amount in the big picture that the debtor is worried about here, the difference between contract rate and fair market value is the minimus at best in the big picture. And, indeed, we intend to come forward with evidence on the 31st, demonstrating that, if anything, the fair market value of our rights is greater than our contract right. Let's see what happens then. Your Honor, we're receptive to the idea of trying to find peace. Peace is good. But the debtors just have to honor their obligation. They have to pay their administrative expenses as they come due. We've contemplated by this court's, local order 40012, and pay what they owe to the teams until and unless they get relief from the court that authorizes otherwise.
0: Thank you. Let me hear any response. Oh, let me ask, does anyone else wish to be heard before I turn it back over to the debtors? Let me just check. Mr. Goldman.
1: Your Honor, I will be brief. Um, I appreciate Mr. Laurie's comments um, and uh, look forward to litigating those issues when we come before the court properly on May 31st. I would just note a couple things for the record. I appreciate the NADA, Zilch, no chance of any credit risk. But if I am, unless I am misremembering, I think two of Major League Baseball teams have filed for Chapter 11 in the last 15 years, and I think unfortunately one of them was Mr. Laurie's team. Um, So there is always credit risk, however unlikely that credit risk is from a lender's perspective, and here we would be serving in that capacity. Um, Number two, um, to comment on what Mr. Bromley said, um, it is their burden as administrative expense claimants to come forth and support the quantum Um, an entitlement to their claim. Is that, um, is there an overlay of a contract? Is the presumptive fair value? Yes. Is that a rebuttable presumption? Yes. We will deal with that on May 31st. Um, But it is every administrative claimant's burden under 503 to prove up their claim. All we're looking to do is as expeditiously as we can have those claims proved up once those claims are resolved. And I think your honor indicated that, You would be prepared to rule on the 31st of May. We hope that's the case. And whatever your honor tells us to pay, we will pay. There is no. We're not looking to build cash to be able to pay and use that as an excuse. We are prepared today to to segregate the full amount. And yes, your honor, we're also um, more than amenable to taking a short recess so we can talk about a proper quantum of what we would pay now, subject to disgorgement um, with these four teams. Uh, Either is fine with us, Your Honor. Uh, We haven't had that opportunity yet because oral argument has continued, but at some point would would ask Your Honor for a recess so we can come back and uh, offer up a proposal that we hope satisfies the court's short term concerns. With respect to Mr. uh, with respect to Sullivan and Cromwell's remaining objections, uh, whether it's May 8th, 10th, whatever the date is, Your Honor, we will be prepared to deal with the objections raised 506, 552 and access to informational documentation. Um, so we will be able to address all of those um, at that time. And again, Your Honor, all we are looking to do is um, is satisfy our constituencies that we are essentially getting the fair value for what we are broadcasting for a very short period of time. And indeed uh, we're talking about six weeks from now to the finish line in terms of a May 31st hearing. Um, and if the clubs are as well healed as they are, or say they are, um, I can't imagine that a six-week hiatus is going to disrupt anyone's ecosystem. Um, with that said, unless Your Honor has any other concerns, I'm happy to yield back to the
0: podium. Now, I'm going to grant interim use of cash collateral. I believe it's appropriate. I need to go forward today. Um, there's agreement with the lenders, and I appreciate very much the hard work that the committee has done, um, you, know, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, um, you can clearly tell they've done an incredible amount of work and really dove into the case. And so I very much appreciate the work of the committee. It um, gives me comfort um, that um, the process is working. Um, I think, with, let me just say, um, as to the next hearing date for that, i um, I think Mr. Bromley, um I'm 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 not gonna I think you have a right to be here and I, you have a right to be here in person. Um and so I'm gonna ask Mr. Egerman. Um you all to think about it, May second would work for me, but if not um and I don't know if that works for you, Mr Bromley, I'm just throwing out a date before that time, but I don't want to jam you on the fourth or the fifth. I think you got an incredibly I don't know what you've got. Uh, I have a suspicion but I don't want to be on me today um if if you can't make it on the 4th or the 5th and, I, and you have a right to be here in person and that's what you want then I would then the 10th the 11th or the 12th would work for me I the 8th and the 9th I just can't do uh unfortunately I you know, those would, so it could be the you know the 2nd right the 10th or really the 12th would would be the better Dates for me in the, after, uh, the 12th is pretty wide open right now, but I remember somebody couldn't do the 12th, which is why we moved the hearing to the 31st. Um, either the 12th or the 19th, we were having issues with those dates. Um, and so I throw the second, maybe the 10th out there, uh, for parties to have a, I am prepared to rule. I will be on the 31st. Um, and we're not going to move that date unless there's an incredibly good reason to do so. Um, on the 31st, I'll, I'll be prepared to go. And I think in terms of having the expert report, um, I'm going to require the debtors to file it by the 12th, May 12th. We push the entire dates out. I think they can trail any expert report. would we'll have to be filed by the 12th. That'll give parties roughly two, two weeks to have it and prepare if they need to take depots or anything. Um, As for paragraph 31, um, let me just back up for a second. I believe I'm still going to need a revised form of order to accommodate um, the statements and the comments made by Mr. Loria, the inclusion of those, um, which Mr. Ellinger... Mr. I mean, you've told me you're okay with debtors have told me you're okay. I'm going to assume that's good enough that someone can get a revised form of order to kind of do what we call the cleanup. Um, that was to the, uh, the preamble to add the uh, objection by the Rangers, um, paragraphs 2 and 35, adding their joinder there as well, and then the, the tweak to add the Rangers in standing on paragraph Twenty-two. Those are the ones that I wrote down. Uh, Respect to paragraph thirty-one. I'm going to give you all a short recess if you want one, Um, and I'm really encouraging you all to come up with a number or a percentage. If not, I'm just going to pick one, and you're going to leave it up to me with the limited knowledge that I have. But I'll just pick a number. I I don't have a great concern that the that the teams wouldn't honor any order um, that I have i so I don't think that's a a great concern for me and i I certainly understand um the concerns that the debtors raise but i the teams are represented, and the MLB's here um, they're represented by sound some of the best lawyers in America it wouldn't make i'm gonna'm I'm gonna hold to their representations and um I'm really y'all y'all can work on an order um that provides the teams some payment. Um and again, I don't want it to be used. I, I agree and I share the concern that Mr. lawyer raised. Um and it shouldn't be used as you know, this what I'm asking the parties to talk about really shouldn't be used as a you know, as a negotiating point, either to set a floor as to what parties are thinking uh, and to be used as what the price should be. Um, and at the same time, it shouldn't be used as a, as, a, as a leverage tactic as well to withhold as much cash uh, as possible in the hopes of seeking concessions. There There is a, a number that works. You all know much better than I would, but really, if you come back to me, I'm just going to pick a number. Um, and I'm hoping that you don't leave it in my hands, but if, But I'll be prepared to come up with one um, if that's what you ask me to do. Um, That way I do think provide some some relief to the teams. Um, Again, I'm not concerned about their financial stability. What I am thinking is um, normally this is what we would do anyway. In any case, pay the uncontested and reserve for the disputed portion of it. Um, That's the way I'm thinking about it. Again, y'all can tell me if you want me to get back on, or you can make the tweaks uh, circulated as you need, and then contact my case manager and let me know if you're ready to upload. The concept of a an interim automatically turning into a final, I'm fine with it, but obviously if somebody wants their, their day in court, they're going to have it. Um, so I'll give you all an opportunity to take a look at your schedules, talk about the dates, the, either the 2nd or the 10th, leave it up to me, I'll just pick one. Um, and uh, i've realized that that may require some some additional conversations from the lenders um, and i'm sensitive to that but unfortunately i'm just out the eighth and the ninth i, I just can't be here um, and so that that's what's driving that mr agerman other than that i would have bent over backwards to, to be here I, i'm only saying that because its i literally just will not be here uh... and i can't move it um, what i have to do on that date so i other than that i would have moved whatever I needed to. This is important enough. So, um, with that said, um, y'all can tell me how much time you think you need um, or or how you wish to proceed. Mr. Goldman?
1: Your Your Honor, if if I may, Uh, can you hear me? Just fine. Great, thanks. Uh, A couple things. Number one, I am informed that Aiken-Gump is not available on May 2. which would suggest giving Your Honor's prior comments May 10, which we're happy to consider and works for us. I would just want to step out briefly and make sure yeah. that both of our witnesses are not on Mr. Gellman, the 12th,
0: I just, and again, my, my recollection could be wrong, but there was something, someone couldn't make the 12th, or there was an issue with May 12th, and maybe I'm just remembering that wrong, um, but if I am, I, I'm, the, I'm here that day, or May 11th in the afternoon, if somebody wanted to do it, I would make it work, so... Somewhere between May 10 and 12, why don't you use that as the parameters?
1: We will. Um, and, Your Honor, if, if I may, I would like to ask my partner, Ross, first and down to address the court on uh, what was, I think, a discrete discovery issue. I had previewed this at the beginning of the presentation, and I know that uh, I think Sullivan and Cromwell and perhaps White and Case want to weigh in on that as well. If I may just turn the podium to him just temp- momentarily. Sure. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Your Honor. Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Great. Um, for the record, Ross Thurston Baum from Wilmer Hale on behalf of the debtors. Uh, Your Honor, um, uh, Mr. Goldman previewed the issue here. Unfortunately, we've um, been unable to reach agreement with Major League Baseball and, and the movement teams on a schedule uh, that gets us to the May 31st conference. Um, I think the uh, the key issue um, that has sort of triggers the dispute it, um, has to do with the timing of the service of expert reports. I think Mr. Bromley made two um, inaccurate statements in his presentation about what has been said so far.
0: Mr. President, um, does May 12 I, I, work? Does that solve the well, issue? So, Your Honor, I, I did hear, Your Honor, Say about May 12th and we can, of course,
3: if, you're, if your honor orders us to serve our report on May 12th, that's fine. However, um, the dispute has arisen in two respects. First, um, we had a, a schedule we had proposed to Major League Baseball and the team is provided for simultaneous exchange of expert reports. Um, uh, the movements uh, in response have taken the position that uh, we should serve our expert report first and they should serve an expert report second. Um, in negotiations, we have said that we would be okay with that so long as that schedule would not prejudice us in any way. And the prejudice that comes with the schedule that Major League Baseball... And the-
0: Mr. Fersenbaum, you just went mute. Hold on a second. Let me see if it's you or or something I've done here. Mr. Fersenbaum, you're on mute. I can't hear you. Something has happened. Uh, Mr. Brummidge, can you hear me? Nobody can hear me, huh?
1: Your Honor, Daniel Eggerman from Kramer Live, and I can hear you. Okay. Okay.
0: okay. Mr. Forsenbaum, can I hear, can you hear me?
1: Your Honor, I just got out of the just alerted the Latham team that, that we can hear them. That's what they're working on us.
0: Hold on a second. Can you hear me now? I can. I can. I apologize. I don't know what happened. I'm muting one more line here. Don't know what happened.
3: No. Uh, apologies, Your Honor. That may very well be a, an issue on our end. Um, so um I uh, Your Honor, um uh, sorry, <laughs> apologize. The thing I heard
0: you, um, why don't you pick up with the you had offered to uh, allow a separate separate dates as long as it didn't prejudice you. So what what did you have in mind?
3: Correct. So so what we had um, um, what we had proposed um, in terms of separate dates was that uh, we would submit our expert report on May nineteenth. Um, and they would submit their expert report on May twenty third, um, and we did that because um, it was the movement's idea that there be a round of expert depositions that takes place in between the expert reports and um, the final hearing. If if the movements would like more time for their re- responsive report. Um, we're happy to take the depositions off the calendar. Frankly, I'm not sure that they're necessary. Um, Both experts will be cross-examined at the hearing and both sides will have each other's reports um, to work from. And so we are not trying to jam up the movements in any way by having an insufficient amount of time to do what they need to do with their expert report. But what we are trying to avoid is prejudice where our expert has to serve a report and be deposed before the close of fact discovery, exchange of documents, and uh, the taking of deposition.
0: When, and is so, the, when is the close of fact discovery?
3: So what what, what we had sensitively agreed to, but again subject to getting the expert reports um, uh, worked out, was that fact depositions would be completed by Friday, May 18th. Um, I'm sorry, I think that's a Thursday, May 18th, um, that our expert report would then be submitted the next day. Uh, so we're just asking for a day after the close of Fact Discovery, May 19th. And then if they want to serve their report on the 23rd and then have expert, expert depositions, we were okay with that, but we think the better course, frankly, would be for them to serve their expert report, you know, no later than Thursday, the 26th. And um, that we go right to the final hearing on the 31st. And that would give us enough time to review their report.
0: I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll make this easy on everyone. I want debtors' report by the 15th. uh, The responsive expert report can be filed by the 18th. Y'all can take depositions the week of the 22nd, and we'll come in on the 31st. That's what we'll do. Thank you, Your Honor. All righty. All righty uh how much again i I think you can hear me strongly encouraging the parties to do this i can I can pick a number, but it's not gonna be as meaningful up to y'all uh everything else is worked out. take as much time as you need. I'm not going anywhere um just let my case manager know um what y'all wanna do um maybe we'll check in with you all at three thirty and just see where see where we are okay Um, and if something if something works out before then then just email my case manager um, and we'll essentially cancel them the remainder of the hearing uh, once I know that that, that there's an order that's going to get uploaded Um, if not we'll we'll come back on and we'll continue okay thank you thank you